started a new message series last Sunday, and I'm um, going through the book of Joshua. And man, what a powerful book. What a, what, you know, this is the book that we really get excited about when we read through it. You know, you know it's exciting when, if you're in a reading plan, you know, uh, in the beginning of the year. You know, you start in Genesis, and, and Genesis is a fun book to read. I mean, you go through the book of Genesis, and then you get into the book of Exodus, and the first 20 chapters are, are great. And, and, and then, I mean, then you start to, you know, uh, get past chapter 20 in Exodus, and then Leviticus. You know, those are some tough readings, you know. And, and this is kind of, just to try to stay awake. You say, man, I need a cup of coffee to get through this. And sometimes it doesn't make sense a little bit, maybe just a little bit over our head. And I, and I understand that. You know, and you say, you say I'm, I'm committed. And then you get to the book of Joshua. Oh, man, what a powerful book. What an action-filled book. And it's just kind of like, all right, you know. And uh, I love it when I hit Joshua in my reading plan, you know. And, and so I'll be hitting Joshua here in a few weeks. And, um, and, and so and that's what we're doing. We're going through the book of Joshua. And, um, and this will t- kind of take us through the next uh, seven or eight weeks. And uh, as we just kind of do a flyover, a flyover through this book. And, uh, and, and last week we started chapter one. And we talk about understanding your spiritual geography and how important that is to help us understand in this series, the series called Going From Good to Great. And we want to go good to great in our spiritual walk. And, and you kind of see that in this uh, last Sunday, we kind of talk about those spiritual geography, how we start, all of us in our spiritual walk, we all have started in Egypt. You know, and Egypt was the place of bondage. Remember that. That was the place where the Israelites were under, were, were under slavery. And, and, and just like they were under slavery, you know, we have a spiritual Egypt where we were under spiritual slavery. And, and, and then the next part of that geography is the Exodus. And Moses, you know, um, went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and, and God so ten plague, and that last plague with the with the with the, the Passover, you know, the death angel passing over through, and and and, and, and so they escape. That was called the Exodus, and that, that leads us to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. And the word Exodus means deliverance or or salvation, and that's what that. And for some of us, we were. You know, and I hope that many of us, if not all of us, but you know, that we have experienced Exodus from our spiritual Egypt, salvation, salvation through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And so, so we see the, the, in that geography that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. And by default, that is normal as Christians. There's a place of spiritual development. And the Israelites were only supposed to be in, East, uh, in the wilderness for two years. That's where they received the, 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 the Ten Commandments. That's where they learned how to set up the tabernacle, how to worship God. And, and for two years, that was the plan. And they were supposed to go to the next place. That next spot was the Canaan. That's the goal of our Christian life. It's not to stay in the wilderness, but to move on to the canon, which, is the, which, which represents the spirit-filled life, the abundant life, 
You know, this is where Jesus, when he, meant to, when he said in, in John chapter 10, verse 10, I give you life and life more abundantly. You know, and this is not canon. That, that's the goal of every Christian is to go from the wilderness to canon. And so the Israelites were in the wilderness for two years. But because they would not trust God, because they did not believe that God would take care of them in canon, that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It should have been that way. Or perhaps you're here this morning, that's where you're living. You're not in Egypt. You've been saved. You know, you've been delivered. But you're stuck in the wilderness. And that's where you're living. The goal is the spirit-filled life in the land of the Canaan, in the promised land. That's the goal of our Christian life. It's a place of battle, but it's also a place of blessing. And, and, and so that's where we've been uh, last week. And uh, so we're going to move on to chapter number two today. And the Israelites are getting ready to go into Canaan. I, I mean, this is the next generation. The first generation died off 40 years later. So God has now given the second generation the chance to obey the trust in God. And this time, instead of being led by Moses, it's been led by Joshua. And so, the, and so they're getting ready to go to chapter 2. And the first major city that they're going to have to get through when they cross the, 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 the Jordan River is the city of Jericho. I wanted to read and look at chapter 2. We're not going to read every verse here, but I wanted to get, kind of get an understanding. And then I hope that we can... Uh, learn some things today from this chapter. Chapter number two, verse number one. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Achaia Grove. He instructed them to scout the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around the city of Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute of all places, Name Rahab. And they stayed there that night. Now, when they walk in, the people of Jericho recognized that they were outsiders. They were like, what's going on? They were very suspicious. They went to the king of Jericho, and the king of Jericho started looking for these two spies. They started hunting them down. And meanwhile, Rahab risked her life and hid these guys in her attic. You know, uh, you know, really kind of under some straws that was on the roof. and kind of not really much of an attic, you know, but they kind of hid him up there in, in, uh, on top of her house. We look at verse number 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. She said, she said I know the Lord has given you this land. And we're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people that you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above 
and the earth below. Now she said in verse 12, she's making a request. She said, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their family. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. The men also said, if you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Verse 15, then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Now, before they left, they see Rahab accepting their uh, proposal. And look at verse 21. She said, I accept your terms. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. So important. We're going to talk about that today. The scarlet rope. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, reported to Joshua all that has happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land. For all the people in the land, are terrified of us. God has encouraged Joshua in chapter 1, three different times, be strong and courageous. Remember, be strong and courageous. And the report of the two spies only added to Joshua's courage. And of all the people in Jericho to run into, these two spies run up into, ran into a prostitute, that shady lady of the night. Her name was Rahab. And that's what I want to study today, is study the life of Rahab. For your history buffs in the room, Jericho is the oldest city in the world. There's no other city that was built before Jericho. For the geography buffs, in the room. It's the lowest city in the world. It sits, with the, it sits right at the top, just north of the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on the planet. And so what we see here is a pagan prostitute living in the oldest and lowest city on the face of a fallen world. Rahab was a pagan living in spiritual darkness. She was a prostitute living in spiritual depravity. She was a person facing sudden destruction. And yet we're going to see today that she experienced both physical salvation as well as spiritual salvation because of the fact that she found grace through faith. Rahab is one of the greatest pictures of what salvation can do in the life of a person of all of all the Old Testament. And we see the timeless truth, and this is the, uh, this is the point of the whole message this morning, that God can transform anyone, no matter what they've done, 
God can transform anyone who put their trust in him and him alone. In fact, when the Bible lists famous people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, we call chapter, Hebrews chapter 11 the, the hall of faith. Guess who's included? Look at verse 31 in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. See, God took Rahab from the hall of shame to the hall of fame. God changed a lady of the night into a lady of the light. God turned a harlot into a heroine. And in this message today, we're going to just see how God changes a prostitute into a princess. Rahab is a wonderful model for us of the power of saving faith. Saving faith. And I want to talk about five characteristics this morning of saving faith that Rahab possessed. And if you want to be transformed by God, I believe that this is the kind of faith that we need. Number one, a saving faith, if you're taking note, is initiated by God's grace. A saving faith is initiated by God's amazing grace. Grace, remember, God's riches at Christ's expense. God given us what we do not deserve. The book of Joshua is all about the children of Israelites moving into Canaan. And, 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 and the story of Rahab in chapter 2 almost kind of breaks the flow of the story. So why is it included? It's because God knew that there was a woman in Jericho who was seeking him. So before the city was destroyed, this woman had to be saved. You see, every salvation story begins with the grace of God. Your story, your salvation story, my salvation story, it absolutely begins with God's grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 and 9, it said, For it is by grace that you, are, that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. So let's be honest. Those of us who might call yourself respectable, you might be a little uncomfortable that God choose a prostitute like Rahab. Surely, I mean, there were finer people in Jericho. Surely there were better people in Jericho. But God's grace is so amazing because he can save the worst of the worst. You see, when we sing the first line of that classic song, Amazing Grace, most of us really don't mean it. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I mean, we sing it, but most of us are thinking, you know, I don't consider myself a wretch. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty good person. And, and, and so what we're really thinking is when we sing that song, Amazing Grace, how 
sweet the sound that could save a wretch like him. <laughs> a wretch like her. Maybe a wretch like them. I love the song Amazing Grace, and I love the fact that John Newton, the guy that wrote the song, and he could write Amazing Grace because he had been an English slave trader in the 1700s. Awful, awful business, selling humans for slaves. And when he realized that God could turn a slave trader into a songwriter, there was only one word that described that kind of grace. It was amazing. See, when you see that John, amazing grace, that's his testimony. God's grace is so awesome, so amazing, that it could change a wretch like John Newton. There was a little girl who had a, a, a great doll collection, a lot of dolls. One time a visitor showed up. She was kind of showing her all the dolls. The visitor said, well, well you know, what, what's your favorite doll? She said, just a minute, I'll show you my favorite doll. She goes into the closet. She brought out a doll that would have been rejected by Salvation Army. It was in that bad shape. You know, she had one eye. Some of her hair was missing. The neck was just barely hanging on by a little piece of the plastic. One shoes, you know, left on her feet. You know, the, 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 the clothing was a little dirty, a little torn, a little ripped. And the visitor was just surprised. He said, why, why do you love this doll so much? And the little girl said, because if I didn't, nobody else would. There was Rahab, dirty, Stained by her sin. But just like we sang a few minutes ago, she was loved, so loved by God. And that's why God's grace is so amazing. He looks at broken, sin-stained people like you and like me and still loves us anyway. Old preacher that I knew passed away many years ago. He would start every sermon from his favorite song. Only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm up here on the platform, one beggar speaking to other beggars. We are all broken. We all need Jesus. We don't deserve it. But God's grace saves us. And so that's the first thought here is that faith, a saving faith, is initiated by God's grace. Here's the second thought about Rahab's faith. It's generated by hearing about God. It's generated by the hearing about God. Now Rahab, had heard about the greatness of God. No doubt many of her customers were men who had traveled throughout the region. And she had heard about a God who dried up the red, you know, a path, dried up a path through the middle of the Red Sea. You see, the first step of faith is simply hearing about God. 
then if you believe what you hear, then faith is born. Rahab said this in verse number 9, chapter 2. He said, I know the Lord has given you this land. Now, here's what's interesting to me. So I find it fascinating. She had more faith than the 10 spies who had inspected the land 40 years previous. She, she said this. She reported, if you go back to that scripture, you know, you just see. She, she said that all the people, remember, they were all terrified of the army of Israel. While the, while the children of Israel wandered for 40 years out of fear of the inhabitants of Canaan, the people of Canaan at the whole time were more terrified of them. But Rahab, she didn't just fear the army of Israel. She feared the God of Israel. And the Bible said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Rahab heard this report about God, and she believed. Our, our faith is generated the same way. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, started first last Sunday, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith is generated by the word of God. Rahab heard about God and believed. She believed before the wall even fell, was going to fall down. She believed in the power of what God can do. And as you're here this morning, as you're hearing the message, as you hear God's word, as you hear about what God can do and how can God how God can change our life. A question for you as you hear these things. Will you believe? Will you believe? Well, Rahab did. Faith is generated by hearing about God. Here's the third thing about Rahab's faith. A saving faith is demonstrated by good deeds. By good deeds. The New Testament book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. Same mom, different dad, okay? James argues about the importance of adding good work to your faith. He uses Rahab as an illustration. James chapter 2, verse 25. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? If the body without the spirit is dead, James said, faith without deeds is dead. Because Rahab believed, because she believed in the power of God, because she accepted God's grace, she demonstrated her belief, she demonstrated her faith in, in, in several different ways. First, she put her own life at risk when she, put the, the, when, when she hid the men in her roof. If, if they had found those men, they would have killed Rahab right there on the spot. In addition, she lowered the spies from her house, gave them a secret way back without being caught. 
you know, how they could get back to safety on the other side of, of the Jordan River. Thirdly, she demonstrated her faith by letting down a rope and displaying a scarlet thread, a scarlet rope out of her window. A scarlet rope, a scarlet thread. We see throughout the scripture, the scarlet thread. In the first century, Clement of Rome was the first preacher to suggest the scarlet thread was a symbol of the saving blood of Jesus. If you remember, during the Passover in Egypt, God promised when he saw the blood of the innocent lamb on the door that judgment and death would pass over that family, that house. And just a few days after chapter 2, the army of Israel is going to come. And they're going to circle, and they're going to surround the city of Jericho, and they're going to swarm and take over. They're going to carry out the judgment of God against them. But when Israel sees that red rope, they're not going to disturb that house because it was a safe zone. Herbert Lockyer, he's a famous um, commentator, he, he wrote this about the, the red thread, the scarlet thread, this red rope. Rahab's sin had been scarlet, but the scarlet line displayed as a token of her safety. It typified the red blood of Jesus, whereby the worst of sinners can be saved from sin and hell. That's what I love about the scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, you'll see the scarlet thread of the gospel of the redeeming gospel of Jesus Christ and his shed blood for you, for you and for me. It's through and through this harmony in our entire scripture, written by 40 different authors and over, over a course of 2,000 years. You know, in other words, there was no, uh, hey, let's have a brainstorming meeting. Let's make sure we all got a duck lined up in a row and make sure we have this all right because there could be so many pieces of puzzles here. No, God put it together in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we see this beautiful scarlet thread throughout the gospel, throughout the scripture. We're going to talk more. We're going to come back later in this message about that scarlet thread. But back to this point, real faith, it's always a component. It's always followed up by good works. We've already read uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. But we see in verse number 10, for we are God's handiwork. You're God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance, in advance for us to do. You need to understand that. We are saved by grace, through faith. All right, that, that's bottom line. Not by works, but through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. But then... After salvation, we are saved unto good works, according to Ephesians 2.10. In other words, we, are, we don't serve, we don't serve to get saved. We, we are saved to serve. And unfortunately, many, many religious people have the order reversed been taught that you must be saved by good works. Got to go to church. 
attend mass. You gotta take communion. You gotta be a good person. You gotta give your offering and the offering plate. You know, you gotta get baptized. All these things. People think if I do these things, if I do, 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 then I could be saved. But see, our salvation doesn't spell D-O, do. It's not a list of things to do. Our salvation is spelled D-O-N-E. It's been done. It's been paid for on the cross. Jesus paid the first payment of our sins and the final payment. In other words, he didn't make the down payment and say, hey, you all do the rest. He said, I paid it all. Done. And we get to live in that. So this is not, we don't serve a God of we have to do, do, do to get saved. It's been done. But because we're saved, we want to do everything we can for the glory of God. I've got a statement on your paper. Good works don't produce salvation. They are the product of salvation. They're the product of salvation. What, what, what are, you know, when you become a, a new believer, what, what kind of fruit is coming out? Should be fruit. There should be some fruit. Bible says, you know, that when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in our life. And he begins to plant the seeds. I call it the seeds of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that he's planting, the fruit trees. And you're supposed to produce those, those fruit, the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control. You know, you know, all these things that we're supposed to grow out in our lives. And, and, and you know, in those unlovely situations, we're to produce that spirit of love, even when it's difficult to love. You know, in those impatient situations, especially when you're driving on hard road. You know, you know, it's an opportunity for God, for that fruit to kind of rise up to the top and say, hey, I got the fruit of patience. You know, and, 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 and that starts to work through. And instead of getting mad and, 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 and doing something that's ungodlike, you respond in the way of Christ. You know, that's the fruit. Are your fruit coming through? Are you serving God? We don't get saved by good works. When we get saved, we want to, we should want to do things for others and for God. I, I love this poem as I was studying it past week, I came across this poem. It said, I cannot work my soul to save that work my Lord has done, but I will work like any slave for the love of God's dear son. Are you demonstrating your faith with good deeds? That's the fourth thing I want you to see here about Rahab's faith. A saving faith is communicated to those we love. Faith, a saving faith is communicated to those we love. There's an important nuance to the story I don't want you to miss. When Rahab asked and received kindness and the protection, Remember, he said, hey, will you guys watch over me? Protect me? She also included her family. 
she, she, was, she was, you know, concerned for those who she loved. And see, salvation is so valuable, such a valuable gift that, that once you get it, once you received it, you, you, you want to share it with others. One of my favorite disciples is a guy named Andrew. And when Andrew met Jesus, he was so excited. He had to go get his brother. He had to get Peter to meet Jesus. And Paul, who was one time, the Apostle Paul was a religious Pharisee who hated Christians, met Christ. And after he met Christ, he was obsessed about telling people about Jesus. In, in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul wrote, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. That was, that was his passion. He wanted people, he wanted people that didn't know Jesus, who was far from God, to know him and become a Christian. And God honored the faith of Rahab in protecting her family. We'll see that when the Israelites started attacking Jericho, she brought them to the safest place in the city, the only safe place in the city, the house that was identified, that was marked by a scarlet thread out the window. Do you have faith? Are you going to heaven? You say, yes, I'm, I'm packed, I'm ready to go. My question is, who's going with you? Who are you sharing your faith with? Who are you inviting to know Jesus? Scott, I, 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 just don't know, I just don't know how to do the one-on-one -on -one conversation. I'm afraid about all the questions they might ask, you know, and, and I get, you know, sweaty palms, and my knees start to shake when I think about, you know, having a type of conversation, you know. And, 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 and that's where you're at. That's fine. We'll help you grow in that. It doesn't have to be scary. But the least you can do, the least you can do is invite someone to church. Invite someone to sit with you. Invite someone here so that they can hear the message of God's word. Go back to point number two. You know, faith is generated by hearing the message of God. God's word will not return void. And so do your part to communicate God's love as much as you can, as best as you can, to share his love to others. Number five, here's the fifth characteristic of Rahab's faith is so important. Faith, a saving faith is validated by a change in choice. By a change in choice. This is, this is where repentance, this is where repentance kicks in. You know, to go in one direction and now to making a 180 and going a different direction. Where repentance means a change of mind. It's a change of mind. It's a change of, hey, I was going my way. I was going my direction. I was doing it my way. And now I realize that my way is a dead end. And I'm going to turn around. I'm going to head towards Jesus because he's not a dead end. That's what repentance is. And Rahab, she was tired of living the life of a prostitute. She knew that how she was living was wrong. She also knew that where she was living was wrong. She lived in a society that approved of her lifestyle, that was okay with the way that she was living. And that led her to some life-changing decisions. And the same thing happened to us when we received Christ. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Here's a couple of things about Rahab's life-changing decision. So take a note. She first, Rahab chose a new faith. Once she heard about the one true God of heaven and earth, she turned from the pagan polytheism. That's the worship of many lowercase gods of that culture. And she turned to the one true God. She found a new faith. By the way, following Jesus today isn't popular in our culture. But those who chose him, I'm telling you, you'll be blessed. I know it's not easy, but I promise you, it's not a dead end. It's not a dead end. Rahab chose a new faith, but she also chose a new family, a new family. Instead of identifying with the city of Jericho, she chose to be identified with the people of God. Let me ask you, have you done that? Once you put your faith in God, you should want to be a part of a local community of, of Christians. Now we call it the church. You know, and, uh, are you plugged in? Do you belong uh, uh, to a local body? And so, well, Scott, you know, I'm just part of the capital C church. And that's wonderful. We all are part of the capital C church. But many times in the New Testament, in fact, more times in the New Testament, we, talk, we see the word church being talked about in a local uh, in a local context, how important it is for Christians to, to grow together, to hold each other accountable, to serve one another, to pray for one another in a local church. I've already said it next Sunday. It's our Discover class. If you're here and say, man, I've been on the fence. I, I, need, to, I, I need to jump in. I need, to be, I need to call Eight Point my church. And I need to stop saying I go to a church called Lake Point. I need to stop saying I go to my church called Lake Point. And I connect with people. You know, not a building, but with people within that church, in that community. And I help others, and they help me to grow and to walk together in spiritual, in a spirit-filled life that we're supposed to live. Don't be stuck in the wilderness. Get connected with others and grow. Got life groups kicking off in a couple weeks. Get connected in one of our life groups. Sign up and be a part of a body of other believers and walk together with him. Her choice of a new faith and a new family also led her to this. Rahab chose, Rahab chose a new future. The decision she made changed her destiny. Think about this. If she had not, if she had not chosen to identify with God's people, if she had not chosen a new faith, think about where she would have been in the future of her life. Well, we know what happened to the rest of Jericho. They all died. But her faith led her to, a, led her to an eternal future she changed her destiny beyond her wildest dreams. You're probably here, and this is, as I kind of close this message out, uh, a couple of takeaways. 
Maybe you're here today, you're saying, I'm not a prostitute like Rahab. You know, I'm not a shady knight or a shady man, you know. Uh, I'm not a shady lady or a shady man. I, 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 you know, but listen, we all have things in our past that we regret, don't we? We all have things in our closet for skeletons. God is making you the same offer that he has offered to Rahab. God tells Rahab, hey, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. I love you so much. And if you're here today, you're like, man, I feel like I don't deserve God's grace. I'm not worthy. Well, listen, you got that right. You're not worthy. None of us are. We have all fallen so short of God's glory. None of us are worthy. That's why it's grace. And the grace is available, though, to all of us, to every single person here in the room. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus, no matter what you've done, God can change your life. Maybe you know someone Maybe you know someone in your life who is so far from God. I want, I want you to do this. I want you to think about the most pagan person you know. Y'all know who that is. You think the most pagan person you know. And you said, man, it would shock me if they ever darkened the door of a church. Y'all know who I'm talking about in your life? Okay, I don't know them, but you know who I'm talking about, right? Y'all got that? Okay, think of that person. I want you to start praying for that person. Because God can reach the most unlikely person in the world. And God can change that person's life. I've got two people, as I was thinking about this message this week, as I was thinking about this point, with a guy named Tony. He doesn't come to our church. He goes to another great church. In fact, that's where he met God, in a little church in Clawson one of our church plants that we helped start and that get behind, called the church at Clawson. And Tony, you know, one day the pastor came knocking on his door. He was just kind of handing out some tracts, some gospel information. Knocked on Tony's door. Tony started having a conversation with that pastor. Tony got saved. A few years later, I meet Tony. Tony wants to start a chaplain ministry for the Jimmy John baseball field when they open up. What they allowed him to do and have Bible studies, you know, every Sunday morning and every week, we would open up a, a, a door, a room, and during the week, during the summertime, and let baseball players, you know, and he said, hey, can we use your church? I said, absolutely. How much it costs? It's free. You're doing gospel work. I said, are you sure? Yes. No question. Come on. And I started having a great relationship with Tony. And one day, Tony was in my office, and, you know, we were talking, and we were leaving my office. And one of my staff members saw Tony. Came to my office and said, Scott, what that? What that? Is Tony? You know, and I said, Yeah, that was Tony. He said, Are you kidding me? I said, Why? 
Well, I went to school with Tony at Eisenhower High School. He was so far from God. You know, he was a, you know, he was a playboy doing his own thing. You know, in fact, he mocked God. He, what is he doing here? I said, well, I want to do ministry at Jimmy John's baseball field. Staff member said, I'm just shocked and, and awed of the power of God. I think about my brother-in-law, maybe Brian. Brian, same thing, down in Florida, so far from God. Didn't have anything to do with God. Began to like a girl, Karen's sister. Karen's sister loved God. She said, hey, I want to come to church. And came to one of our single ministry services. We had a big ministry during the week, 150, 200 singles every week. I was preaching the message. And Brian heard the message of Christ and got on his knees and gave his life to Christ. Now today, Brian is serving God, married to Karen's sister, loving his family, loving God, loving his church. It's amazing what God can do no matter who you are. God can transform a person's life when they put their trust in him. Now, there's a little bit more to the story here. I'm going to go back to Rahab. And this is the, I saved the best part for last. You know, when Rahab chose a new future with God, that God honored her in an amazing way. God really did turn a prostitute into a princess. In the first chapter of Matthew, we find the genealogy of the parents of Jesus. And Rahab is in that list. Check it out. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. Verse number 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. See, Rahab ended up marrying a guy named Salmon. We don't know for sure, but Jewish tradition believed that Salmon was one of the two spies that Rahab hid. Salmon and Rahab had a son. His name was Boaz. He married a gal named Ruth. We have a book in the Bible named Ruth. It's named after the person. Rahab ended up being the great, great grandmama of King David, the greatest king that Israel has ever known. And she was a matriarch in the line of the sinless Savior, Jesus Christ, whose blood is the scarlet thread of protection from God's judgment on a sinful world. You see, in God's book, that qualifies Rahab as a princess. And that, my friend, is how God can change a prostitute into a princess. If we can do that, 
imagine what God can do in your life. God, he can change. And only God can do it. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your salvation. We thank you that we have that saving faith available if we would accept that grace. God, maybe there's someone here this morning who's never done that. Maybe they identified themselves a little bit to Rahab. Feel like they can't be saved. They feel like they're not good enough. Oh God, I pray that today they realize that God's grace, that your grace is so amazing. And that you love him, you love her in spite of their past. And that salvation is available to them. God, maybe for those who are saved, for those who have received salvation, God, I pray that we will live it out, that we we will serve, that we will allow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives to flourish, that we will open our mouth and communicate the gospel of what a saving faith can do. Oh, God, I pray that we will do what we can to share the love of Christ. Maybe, God, there's someone in our life who is so unlikely. God, I pray that we will start praying for that person. We pray for an opportunity to invite that person into a relationship with you. At the very least, God, I pray that we will just invite them to church. So God, I pray that we go out there to live out in this amazing grace that we have. And help us to share that faith and to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.